Hi, I'm Mike Seidel, CTO here at Pivot CX. Today, I'm joined by David Bernstein, our VP of All Things Revenue. And today's special guest on Pivot to First is Mitch Gerson, CEO of the Gerson Agency. Mitch, welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your time, Mike and David. Um, it's a rare opportunity I get to be interviewed. So thank you for that opportunity. Thank it's It's great. That's true. You, we, you and I reconnected recently. You were doing the interviewing of me, right? So, right. right. So, uh, and I, you do that as part of your, your business? Yeah, no, yeah. I do. Um, uh, I would call it a media minute, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it kind of give it a media an opportunity or software or tech that opportunity to kind of do that elevator pitch. And it's, it's been a lot of fun to do on LinkedIn Live where you never know how it's going to go because it's live. So, Mitch, you've you've had uh, quite a storied career. You've been with HOTUS, Recruitix, and finally uh, you stepped out. It was about three years ago, started your own agency right around uh, 2020. Tell us a little bit about what went into the decision to start uh, the Gerson Agency. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. So I actually missed TMP. I was there, too. So um, quick, quick story. 20 years at HOTUS, uh, the best. 20 years personally and professionally I've ever had. Uh, and it's one of those things that you stay in a place that long, you don't appreciate it fully. I graduated college. I was interviewed in, uh, I hate to say the year, but it was in early nineties. <laughs> and one of the first questions I was asked is why do you want to work for a recruitment ad agency? The reality is I had no idea what a recruitment ad agency was even worse. Did I imagine, 30 plus years later, I'd still be in the same business, never in a million years, but I do really enjoy it. I've had a lot of fun doing this. So 20 at HOTUS, uh, three years at TMP, four at Recruitix, um, short time at Bayard. And I would say for me, the reason I did this is that there's a number of things, number of reasons that I did this. So I ran my own business for a long time at, at HOTUS. I was a private contractor there for a very long time. And I didn't realize how great that opportunity was until, you know, with age, you reflect back on those moments. It was a great run. It was so much fun. Mr. HOTUS was great. I worked with uh, Sherry Jacobson, who is very well known in the industry. A uh, number of folks who are very well known and have, are still very much in the industry. And what that gave me was a foundation of how to do things on my own to kind of roll up your sleeves, kind of bootstrap a little bit, uh, figure things out for yourself. I had a lot of help there, but I also had a lot of moments where I had to kind of figure it out for myself. Having said that, um, getting back to specifically, why did I do this? I discovered in 2020, there were so many things that changed for all of us. I mean, I don't even have to overemphasize how dramatically things changed for all of us. But what I discovered was I was getting meetings, sitting in my home with people in Europe, uh, all over the country. I was able to do things and I was looking at the way software was operating. And, it, and I had that realization, you don't need that physical space. In a twist of irony, I have a physical space now. Here I am in New York City. I'm on 49th and 5th. The reason I did that was because after three years of being physically at home, was a little wearing. Um, I discovered I'm a very social person. I need to be out and about. I also happen to love New York City a lot. Um, so I'm back. Essentially, I've worked pretty much in Midtown my entire career. 
and being here has opened the door to reconnecting personally and professionally with so many people, um, lunches, drinks after work, which is always fun. Um, just being able to shake someone's hand and tell the story. But at the end of the day, we're going to be three years old, um, in December. And, uh, I'm very, very fortunate to have had a number of professional and, um, personal friends that supported me to create what became the Gerson agency. Sorry. I hope that wasn't too long. Yeah. So best piece of a business advice I once got was don't die. Right. <laughs> so, I, I, well, here's, here's the one advantage I have, David. I chose yeah. my last name. My family could take it over, but yes, uh, you're not wrong. So what also, but the business don't die, right? I mean, stay, yeah. staying in business three years is, you know, congratulations. Well, right. thank you. And, and yeah. there's no question. It's, uh, I think the 18 years of the endurance that you learn from running your own business, because I was essentially hundred percent commissioned for that entire time. And that was a rare opportunity that I haven't, I don't think that's offered from anyone these days. And, um, I was very thankful for that because it taught me how to be entrepreneurial, how to run a business, how to find business, how to maintain it, how to manage it. And the hardest part, how to recover from failures. And believe me, there have been plenty. Learning lessons, right? Yeah. So you've got this thing started. You've got, got everything moving. I, I know, you know, I keep running into, you know, when I go to conferences, I run into people that use you as their agency of record. So I know that you're doing something right there. What's, uh, you know, when you're talking with your clients and, and particularly around job boards, what's new in the job board world right now? What are things, what are the things that your clients are bringing to you going, help me with this? So there's a lot of, well, right now, in general, it's almost like a wet blanket. And again, professionally been through this before. There was a lot, last year was amazing. Last year was so fun, so exciting. Um, business was, was really good. Part of that was because of the difficulties that 2020 um, created for a number of companies. So this year, because of a number of factors out of many companies controls, spend is down, hiring's down. HR, unfortunately, has been kicked really hard. I'm seeing HR teams getting smaller. They're being asked to do more with less. And again, having been in this industry for a long time, it's very cyclical. We've seen this before. Years ago, I would say applicant tracking systems was very scary for a lot of talent acquisition teams and companies. What does this mean for us and our jobs? Right now, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of answer this in two ways. Number one, I'm going to talk about AI for a moment. AI sure. is exciting and incredibly scary all at once for so many reasons. From a recruitment perspective, AI could conceivably, if not now, within the next two to three years, replace folks in some capacity in human resources. Do they, does, do they get shifted to other roles? Do companies like an Amazon utilize it at scale? to make teams, they just had a major reduction in staff, yeah, HR staff, Google did too. So AI is one big game changer and that also affects all the job boards. I'm seeing almost, and I've seen this before, so in the days of Yahoo, Monster, and Career Builder, there's this kind of scrambling for everyone's fighting for that dollar. And right now you've got indeed made massive changes at the beginning of this year, which didn't go over too well for a number of reasons. Um, indeed does a fantastic job. 
but it's not right for everyone for depending on the circumstances, the types of jobs, et cetera. Then you've got also the unknowns. You've got Google, um, which is has been saber rattling for many years about Google for jobs. We've seen the beta. It's unclear when that will actually fully be released, the impact. Will it be as easy to manage as a programmatic job board? And in addition, you know, everyone talks about Indeed and Google even. You've got 199 other job boards, plus or minus. They all have value. And really what HR teams ask me on a daily basis is where do we spend? How do we get the best return? How do we ensure that we're getting quality applicants? That's really hard to do especially when there's pressure on budgets. So let's talk a little bit about AI because, you know, I, I think we hear it a lot on our end when we have customers asking us, you know, what kind of AI features does your product have? And, and it's a lot of times when I hear the question, it, it's almost like uh, a checkbox thing where it's like, does it have AI or not? And there's not a lot of understanding of, of really what, what modern AI can really do. So how, how are you helping your clients understand what they could be doing with AI and how, how they could leverage AI to, you know, maybe find more candidates or find better quality? Right now, there's a lot of noise. As you already picked up, it's a buzzword. It sounds cool. There's, depends on where you are in the HR space. Marketers love conceptually the idea of AI. We've been using rudimentary AI in some capacity on the programmatic job boards. Even when I was at Recruitix, there are there's AI built in, and there are there is truth to that. There are you set up your campaigns, the software makes certain decisions based on parameters, but there's still a lot of handholding from a technical perspective by humans. Um, true AI, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I was watching, I was on uh, Facebook the other day, watching a very interesting demo. I can't remember the name of the company, but they're apparently servicing Tesla. And if you go onto the Tesla website, somebody that sounds like a human and it's very convincing in real time will say, Hey, I saw you were just on our website. So what's happening in the background is somebody's that software is figuring out who just looked at our website figuring out who that person was, getting the phone number, dialing them on a cell phone, but then interacting with them. There was an amazing Google demo very recently that um, the CEO demonstrated how Google Voice AI, which hasn't been fully released yet, can make an appointment for a haircut. And it does a lot of the um, things like it was saying, hi, I'd like to make an appointment for a haircut. What times do you have available? And there was the person on the other end definitely did not know that was AI and, and it interacted, it was conversational and it, and it did the little pauses and the verbal ticks that humans do like, huh? Okay. That's not going to work for me. How about Tuesday? Do you think you have an availability for Tuesday? That's amazing, but that is not ready for prime time yet. Having said that, I think that's where we're headed from a recruitment marketing perspective. Think about the ability. Somebody clicks on your job, they move off, then they get a phone call. Hey, this is so-and-so from this company. I saw you were looking at this job. What about it interested you? Is there anything I can tell you? And most people, if they're willing to play along, may recognize it's AI. 
It can be annoying, but if it's done well, it's really cool and engaging. And I happen to love technology. I find it very fascinating. Well, you know, Mitch, this really interesting thing that you've brought up, because in, in our world, one of the first use cases back in 2020. So what I was doing in 2020, we had a different business and we made a big pivot into what we're doing today. And uh, our first use case for our software was actually making it so somebody could apply on Indeed and talk to a live human recruiter within about right. two minutes of when they when they applied. And this is a kind of interesting thing. If a company is willing to commit to that kind of immediate experience with a candidate, um, it overcomes a lot of deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can have terrible ratings on Glassdoor and nobody will believe it <laughs> because right. the actual experience is amazing. And when I look at AI, it might get there one day. But the interesting thing is you can do that today. It's possible to have that kind of immediate response, even without AI and without hiring 500 recruiters. So it's interesting to me when I see things like that, where people are talking about, hey, let's do it all with AI. And it's a you know what, you can actually do that now and it really works and it really drives a lot of efficiency if you do it. When, when AI works well, it is, it, I, I love AI when it works well. Me when too. It, yeah, when it, when it clearly is, I mean, there's only so many things it can, it, it's when it can interpret the intent behind the question, that's really transformative. That's really cool. So, you know, though, uh, I'd be interested in your opinion on this, Mitch, but uh, I kind of think that um, there's the work that we do in recruiting and then there's a, what a recruiter does, right? Being a recruiter, so the work that needs to get done during the recruitment process doesn't have to be done by a recruiter. And to me, that I think that's where we're kind of, where we're getting back to an understanding of what does it really mean to be a recruiter, right? The the empathic understanding and the ability to kind of convince somebody to get out of this chair and go sit in this other chair and the human issues relative to that and right that you know and selling the candidate to the hiring manager this kind of understanding of how to bring together talent with opportunities to be able to support a business is so different than where we've gotten all hung up around the administrative steps of running a recruitment process yeah 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 no and 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 I think when you go back to look at, again, applicant tracking systems. So I was part, when I was at HOTIS, mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of the applicant tracking system. Thankful it was so long ago. Uh, <laughs> I helped engage that with Hasbro Toys at the time. This is going back quite a while. It was probably one of the very first applicant tracking systems in the United States. And there were companies that didn't really understand why would we want to have software step in between us and this relationship with a potential applicant. But what it allowed us to do is to manage applicants at scale, process them more, more quickly. And it freed up HR folks to do what they do best, the relationship building, weeding out applicants, trying to get to know them and understand them and kind of AI right now really can't do that. There's their AI tech that can determine if you're being truthful, I don't know. I think you need a little bit of human intuition and that human interaction. And there's no question. The other, you know, there's an advantage to face to face, but video has really helped bridge some of that gap. But I don't think HR really has anything to worry about for the next maybe, 
I don't know, three to five years, specifically in that interaction part. But to walk somebody through, think about the possibilities. And again, I know we're kind of going on this track of AI, but how cool would it be? I knew and I get a call from an AI, whatever it is, and it can walk me through in, in, in something that sounds like a person having a conversation. Hey, have you filled out your, you know, your healthcare forms? What questions might you have? That's administrative work. That is such a waste of time for most professional recruiters. I know it needs to be done, but it's so administrative. If you can push that off and then allow that HR person to do what they do best, that's a win. Right. So getting people to back to people business activities and right. So the, yeah, this automation and AI hype, right. Is, but it's really right. Recruiting is so full of all this touch points and administrative steps to get through the process. So it's, you know, it's, it's ripe for this for sure. Oh, a hundred percent. I, I, I went through years ago, there was a moment in time I had an opportunity with a big, big bank, national bank. Don't want to mention it because it wasn't a great recruitment process, but it was six months of interviews in person, on the phone, video, but there were weeks and weeks of complete nothing. If you can, you know, if I could go back in time and insert AI into that process in some capacity, mm-hmm. just to keep me in the loop to say, hey, you've spoken to these people. Here's where you stand. Here's what we anticipate coming. That would have been very helpful. Absolutely. Well, don't yeah. don't uh, don't tell anybody. We're actually working on that. So that's that's what's missing. That's a huge part of this. I think there's a lot of you know when I go look at at the whole recruiting world, there's a lot of there's a lot of things I look at and go, why is it that the way that it is? But one of the things that really blows my mind, and it has since I entered the industry, is the fact that uh, I've never seen a profession where we're asking people to work with so many different tools. I go look at a recruiter, um, and uh, I was—I think it was George George Larocque that that came up with told me this number, and it was uh, at the, the recruiter has to log into about thirty different systems every day to do their job, and it blows my mind because I know logging to thirty systems is probably about an hour of work every day, and yeah. just to just to get in and look at the dashboard, and it blows my mind to see that that we have these people that are. Are really, um, they're wired for and are experts at building relationships with people and then selling those people inside their enterprise to, to get them uh, get them hired. And we we have them really uh, kind of just doing a lot of IT work. And, and mm-hmm. um, so as I look at that trend, uh, you know, I hear and I hear from customers, "Hey, we we want fewer tools." Um, we I see just a huge opportunity to simplify things and and really. Uh, you know, get things to where we, you know, where do you get your candidates from? How are you building that pipeline? Then, then there's the, once you get the, once you do have a candidate, how do you engage them and manage that through to hire? And there's just so many, uh, so many overlapping pieces there. What, what do you tell your customers about that? Less is more. Um, Shiny objects are fun to look at, but don't follow every shiny object. I would say one of the biggest objections I get in mm-hmm. general is when I come across something I think could be very valuable for a client is getting the attention needed. If I really feel very strongly about it, I tend to really push it. 
because um, there are certain technologies that I'm like, you have to, based on my observations on how you guys operate, my experience with you as a client, I think this X technology would be very valuable. And, and I've, I've inserted some of that tech within some of my client relationships. But there's definitely, right now especially, there's a lot of eyes on HR. They tend to be very, folks tend to be very concerned about introducing new shiny technology to your point, yet something else we need, another subscription, something else we need to figure out, how do we make it work in the day? How do I learn it? And then there's also the biggest fear. What if nobody uses it? Um, and, and, it and it doesn't really impact my day. Um, there are, but I'm also not, I've never been a really big fan of an all-in-one everything tool because I like to sometimes pick and choose things that I think do real, certain things really, really well versus, oh, this tool will do everything <laughs> and it'll solve every problem. Nothing does, never does. It, mm -hmm. it, sometimes it looks like it might, but it really needs to be fully understood. You need really deep a, a adoption, that sort of thing. I've dealt with technologies even you know across the years at TMP or HOTUS um, where we were told this is now the new software to manage all your insertion orders, your ad placement, blah, blah, blah. Inevitably, it doesn't always work quite the way you would hope. Well, Mitch, you tell you correct me if I'm wrong. You know, I, I never owned a recruitment ad agency. I did own a regular ad agency for a long time. When it came to insertion orders, no matter what we tried, we would always end up with spreadsheets and templates and emails. Well, I have to say, since the dawn of job board programmatic, I haven't created an insertion order. I can't even remember. I think the last time I did it was seven years ago. Um, and it's so bizarre because that was like an everyday, multiple times a day occurrence. But the reality, yeah. So sorry, I'm just reminiscing now about my insertion orders. I, I go back as far as where I had reams of carbon paper. I don't even, I shouldn't even probably bring that up because it'll really date me, but we had yeah, a lot of paper the curly fax machine paper as well do you remember those days yeah uh, yes very yeah. much so i remember the good old, i i do miss you know the ads that we would get on our fax machine simultaneously for free trips to europe um and uh you know 99 cent meals and things like that we used to get those spam ads on fax machines hmm. you know recruitment marketing is you know it's not just job boards and job posts right what what do you have your clients doing out there that's not just working with a job board? So, no, it's a good question. I, I, a big thing right now, because everybody talks about social media. So reputation management based on Glassdoor, Fairy God Boss, uh, Indeed, that is so important. These algorithms have gotten much smarter. Companies that choose to ignore their professional social reputation are at risk in my professional opinion. Hmm. There is a need to manage and, and be a part of that conversation. So that's something that we've been doing uh, this year. We layered that in this year. Um, that to me is, is absolutely foundational at this point. So because of the algorithms, because of the way Google will punish you, um, if, you know, if your rankings are really good on Glassdoor, you you will you will do well. Um, there are but and even that there are nuances within that. Um, 
but just not keeping your content up to date. It's very labor intensive. Somewhere down the line, AI might kind of step in there. Right now it's not there, but to see companies that I respect and admire have very outdated information, um, it is, it's, it's a problem and it's something that can be solved. So professional social media <laughs> and also just what we're doing right now, the ability to produce video inexpensively and create quality content that's valuable. All of the algorithms really reward that behavior when it's educational and useful uh, for folks. And that's something that, again, I think um, is a missed opportunity, but it's, it's not expensive. It's labor intensive. That's the hard part. Well, and that kind of gets back to, you know, cutting the Cutting the budget for HR makes it harder to find people to get those those labor intensive things done. Yeah, agreed. For yeah. sure. I, I now I was talking to a talked to a couple of prospects in the last two weeks. Lost count. It's probably approaching five or more prospects who said to me that um, they've got oodles of candidates in their Indeed inbox or some inbox somewhere that they've just not been able to get to, right? Um, so there is that, that side of the problem as well as, right. You're spending money on job ads, getting some reasonable response, but, uh, but not able to, you know, tackle getting back to everybody. Right. It's a, that concerns me because I, we're about efficiency, higher, mm -hmm. faster, higher, higher, better. Um, if, if you're at that tipping point of a lot of quantity, I would start to dig into is it, the, the usual suspects. Is it quality? Are they quality applicants? Is it really a, an issue of not being able to dig through them? I honestly would start looking at how you're advertising. I would look at your job descriptions. I would maybe seriously, if you're on Indeed and you're only using Easy Apply, you're going to get those mass quantities. And I think the days I used to remember, I, I have my favorite story. I ran an open house. I won't name the company. It's a long time ago, mm -hmm. but I ran an open house ad for a major retailer. And um, we did this, it was Midtown Manhattan. They, I, I can't remember where, we probably the Daily News or something back in the day. <clears throat> it wasn't cheap, ran this ad. And on Monday morning, I got a call. Whenever my little red light on my phone was lit up on my phone, on my, on my office uh, phone, I always got nervous on a Monday morning. They said, <laughs> we were really disappointed with the turnout and I was just baffled. I don't, I, I, cause I physically walked over there. I saw it looked like a good turnout said mm -hmm. we were prepared for about a hundred people, but only 30 people showed up and we had food, we had, you know, uh, personnel. And then I said, well, how many hires did you need to make? Well, we needed to make eight critical hires. I'm like, how many did you hire? They said, well, we actually hired 10 people. And I was just baffled by that because to me, that was an insane win because mm -hmm. you got the right applicants to show up. The right people were, but, but they were disappointed because they spent so much money on food and it was wasted. Getting, you know, looking at that from a programmatic perspective, if you have too much noise, it's not a good applicant experience when folks are applying, mm -hmm. even if it's easy apply. It, it needs to be a little more nuanced than that to just let somebody spam the apply button to say, I applied to 10 jobs today. Um, and there are ways to do that from a technical perspective. This is looking at your jobs, your job description, looking at how and where you're advertising. And 
quite honestly, we've turned off easy apply in some instances where we felt that was happening and it was, you know, volume is great. My point is some, some HR folks like volume that we get to choose a lot of people, but if it's not quality and it's just quantity, you're wasting right. a lot of time and effort and sifting, right? Yeah. Well, Mitch, you know, when you look at, at companies that really are going for huge quantities of candidates, you have to have something very efficient plugged into that source sure. of candidates to do all the sorting and sifting. So uh, that's interesting because I used to run into this a lot just with my agency's clients back in the day where they would come and, and go, you know, um, we, we did this campaign. We spent, a, you know, we spent a million dollars in this ad campaign, totally hit our numbers, but we think it was a failure. And okay, why was it a failure? And it would be something very subjective like that, like, oh, we bought too much food for an event, or it would be, uh, well, we didn't get as many leads as we thought we were going to get. Yeah, but the ones you did bought, <laughs> you know, right. and, and I think one of the things I see a lot when we sit down and talk to our clients is, is a lot of focus on the wrong metrics. Is, mm. is that something that you see quite a bit with, with clients early on? It depends on how important the analytics are to the end user. Um, I, I, I would say I'm going to lean on my years at the beginning of job board program, programmatic aggregators. Um, and, and this even applies to my years at TMP at the very beginning of the programmatic platforms like the AppCast, Recruitix, Jovio, Pando, those sort of things. There's a lot of great data, but it's just like anything. You can stare at a dashboard and not understand what does that mean to me? How many clicks? What's you know the cost per application? That's easy to understand. That's a, that's an easy metric. But what is my click through rate? How long with, did it take to apply? All these other metrics. What does that mean? And and looking at that data and aggregate tells a very clear story. Um, and if you know how to actually, we do know. I would say we're experts at that. That's what I sell is the ability right. to understand the data, remove the noise and, and push through it. There are some companies that are still just, I need quantity. I don't need to worry about the data and that's okay too. But I kind of enjoy the challenge of a very smart marketer. And I have the good fortune to work with many of them as clients um, who really want to understand it. And, and it's a more engaging, more ex kind of cool, fun conversation. You got to really like data. you have to like the analytics and understand the implications, but to have those debates, maybe if we do X, Y, and Z, maybe if we make these tweaks, let's see what happens. Let's see if we change the job titles. Let's do geo expansions. Those are fun conversations to have. It's probably why I'm still doing this um, because I find it fun, but if you don't like the data, we can also simplify that for you too. Not everybody needs to know all the details. They just need to get quality applicants and we worry about those problems on the back end. So we've kind of come to the point here where I always have a few questions for our guests and uh, we always totally ask them the th three really tough questions that uh, uh, you can never get wrong. So uh, we'll, we'll start off with, uh, so all the things that you've uh, read business-wise, what business books had the most impact on you? This is going to sound dumb. Well, two, 
All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna reference two, and they're okay. they're ones that you I'm sure you guys have read. Who moved my cheese? And that's like a thousand years old, but I still love that because that in in full honesty, I, I really had an impact on me because mm-hmm. I was doing print ads at the time at Hodis, and um, that book was distributed at Hodis, and we were on the precipice. That was the the kind of when Monster was really taking over Career Builder, Headhunter.net, all of that. We even had Career Mosaic for a time. Um, the concept of if things are changing around you and you're not paying attention, you just get passed on by. That was what led me. I was also, I inherently enjoy technology. So it was easier for me. It wasn't easy for everyone. So I kind of followed along with those technical changes. The other one, and I hate to reference it because it's kind of an annoying book to reference, The Challenger Sale. Um, the it, It's a tried and true book on sales. I don't necessarily follow all of it, but that also, the, the need to be disciplined from a sales perspective and, and, and to make sure you're, you're explaining your value proposition to the potential end user and, and why what you're offering will solve their problem and make their lives better. Um, conceptually, those are obvious thoughts, but to have a book kind of walk you through, and I highlighted a few key things, but I would say those two stand out to me personally. You know, what I love about the Challenger sale is uh, it's an absolutely great book to hand to somebody you hire for any sales-like role in your company. It's like, here you go, read that, then we'll talk. Yeah. It's your weekend homework for your first weekend. It's yeah. a good book. All I've right, next question. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I just said I've read it more than once. Next question, uh, what's your favorite movie? Back to the Future. Don't even have to hesitate on that one. Um that movie is a family favorite. Love it. Michael J. Fox, that whole cast is probably one of the best casts of all time. Um, that trilogy is truly one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and, 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 and it's not just the story, the technology, the way they had actors playing against themselves across multiple timelines. They created an entirely new way of doing movies absolutely fascinating i absolutely love that movie yeah the last question is is there anything that we didn't ask you that we should have yeah how how clients or potential clients can get in touch with us at the gerson agency Um, absolutely go ahead so if you would be kind enough anybody watching this to give us an opportunity to chat with you to get to know you and understand your challenges know we are a very experienced team and uh, you can visit us at it's sim- very simply the Gerson G-E-R-S-O-N agency.com. And hopefully there'll be an opportunity to meet with you, get to know you and understand your challenges. But we really do like what we do and we really are um, interested in helping you solve your problems, your hiring problems. We'll put the link to, to it as well. We'll mention the description when the podcast publishes. Thank you. Mitch, thanks so much for being with us. It's always good to have somebody who is just kind of a legend in the industry and somebody that's been doing this for a long time and doing it very, very well join us. So thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's, it's, 
my pleasure. And I'm going to take that last part that you just said, make sure my wife only sees that part of this uh, video. Well, for David and I, thanks so much for joining us and to everyone have a great afternoon. Yeah. My sincere thank you again. Have a great afternoon, everyone.